Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. good base section mine but no top tenors that's for sure And welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Wayne, what have you been watching since the last podcast? Well, I've been watching lots of things actually, but probably one of the more intriguing things I've seen is a documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight. Ooh, I've heard of that one. Yeah, it's a Netflix documentary and... Series or...? uh, It's a one-off, so it's a feature-length film. And it's about this super manipulative, creepy guy who essentially, without giving too much details away, seduces the couple next door to get to their child daughter. Now, you see, I reckon I... Kirsten and I were watching this the other day. So you think you and your partner, Kirsten, were watching yeah, this? Yeah. yeah, so abducted the daughter twice. Yeah. And told her a story that they had to have a baby or there'd be the end because of mankind. Because of, of aliens. Yes, You've yes, seen we it. saw that, yes. What, creepy. Creepy, what a manipulator. And it was just one of those things where you go, hang on, if I was writing this story, <laughs> I would have had all the other writers in the workshop room throwing bunches of scrunched up paper at me saying, yeah. you can't do that. No one That's will believe it. No yeah, believe it. it yeah. is so, it's so bizarre. Yeah. But I watched it recently and hearing a lot of things about it, it people had recommended it to me. Yeah, so that's an interesting one. And mm. wow, um, truth really is stranger than fiction to coin a cliche. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it made me think about a film that we had reviewed a few episodes back, The Imposter, how that was yep. such an outrageous story. yeah. Yep. That was kind of more believable to some degree. Like, this is yeah, even more it. outlandish, that's I thought. That's it. Uh, it's, it's strange. To go on with quick tangent, it's strange how that sort of thing happens, that this idea yeah. of reality. You see it in his, historical films all the time. Um, I know Master and Commander, yeah. um, the actual officer that it's based off, did so much more outlandish things than what's portrayed in the book that's then in turn portrayed in the movie. Yeah. Because the guy who wrote the book said, nah, no one will believe that. Well, <laughs> it's funny you say that because I remember seeing an interview with, I think it was Brian Singer, talking about Valkyrie, yep. that movie, and how he had said that the character that Tom Cruise had portrayed had done a lot more, was injured a lot more severely. And mm. they're like, no, no, if we actually depicted 100% in the film, 
everyone's just going to go like, oh, come on, Hollywood. Come on, Hollywood. That's it, <laughs> yeah. That's it, exactly. So it is interesting. And I think this is one of the things why I'm quite drawn to documentaries. Yeah. Because, I mean, look, everyone's got their own different perspectives and point of views and may embellish or remember things yeah, differently. Yeah. But you kind of take it more for face value, don't that's you? That's it. That's it. Yeah. But that was one of the really interesting things that I've seen recently. Hmm. How about yourself, Philip? Well, Wayne, I think you'll be pleased at this. I have been introduced to the Golden Girls. <laughs> I'm actually really enjoying it. Okay, so um, so are, which golden girl are you? Or are you not at that uh, stage yet? I'm not quite at that stage. <laughs> I do find myself drawn... Um, now, what's her name? B. Arthur's character. To Dorothy's Bornack. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm drawn to her, but I have a horrible feeling I'm a lot closer to Rose. Oh, everyone loves Rose. <laughs> and I have to say, I have the softest spot for Rose. And I love Blanche. I love Sophia, but I'm Dorothy. <laughs> um, it was funny. I we were watching. I was watching it as well recently. I have the the series on on DVD. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And I did a whole binge session of it. Yeah. And I had said, picking up little characteristics from the girls. I went to to my sister and I said, oh, there was this scene involving one of the golden curls, and I'm just so like her. Guess which one? And my sister Vanessa has gone, oh, Dorothy. <laughs> so there was like any doubt. I was like. Yes. yes. <laughs> I have found that I quite enjoy these sort of uh, series. Yeah. That do that. That sort of like like you've just said. Oh, which one are you? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, you can do that with Sex and the City, yeah. Golden Girls, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You, Everyone always had a turtle. Yes, you, you, you could relate. You can relate. You know, it means you can love them all, That's but there's it. one that you're kind of drawn to That's the most. It, exactly, and I love that sort of series. Yeah, and I just love the fact that you and I are both Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sure other people would say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all so likable and so lovely. <laughs> And they throw the best shade as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, Phil, on to today's film. Yes. What are we reviewing today? Today, we are reviewing my all-time favourite movie outside of the Star Wars franchise, <laughs> Zulu. Tell us about it, Janet. <laughs> Zulu is a 1964 British epic war film directed by Cy Enfield depicting the Battle of Rock's Drift between the British Army and the Zulus in January 1879 during the Anglo-Zulu War. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, Michael Caine, as they lead 150 British soldiers in the valiant and hard-won defence of their men against a force of 4,000 Zulu warriors. Wayne. Philip. What were your thoughts? Well, I'd never seen Zulu before. It's a film that I've heard of a lot because... It's a part of that era of epics. Yes. So we've had the 50s where we've got the biblical epics, like the Ten Commandments and, you know, Ben-Hur. No, it's not a Bible story, but it is set in the time of (laughs) Christ. Uh, You know, we've got the 60s. So Zulu is in there. Um, Cleopatra is infamously in there as well. And then we move on to the disaster film epics as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Side and Adventure, Tarry Inferno. So this set of decades if you will <laughs> is all about make it big yes <laughs> one of the things that really struck me about zulu is especially for a significant amount of time of the film one could argue 
nothing really happens mm -hmm. that justifies it being on a grand scale okay, because yeah. we've got interactions between soldiers, it's discussions, it's talking, all of these things. However, the way that the film is shot is so beautiful. Mm. And this is one of my favorite things about this era of yes, filmmaking, yes, of these yes. old school epics. They are always shot so beautifully. So whether it's just a few people in a room, whether it's a huge battlefield and a wonderful landscape, a dark corner, it always looks grand. Yes. Zulu is no exception in this case. So I like that it was always visually pleasing. And one could argue that set where it is set in the time that it is set in, the colour palette is perhaps quite muted. I mean, it's really the soldiers' bright red uniforms are the only things that really stand out. Everything else is in this beautiful, natural, earthy tones of browns mm. and greens and yellows. You know, it's, it's the landscape. Yes, it's, yes. It, it, it's, co it's other costuming and so forth. So aesthetically, the film was, was really stunning. It, it fits into the genre quite beautifully. It has a story to tell, and I think it tells it really well. It's really well written. So mm. there are a lot of moments where it, it, it's dialogue, it's people talking. It doesn't necessarily need to be so grand, but it is, and that's just a bonus <laughs> for me. Uh, but the, the dialogue is engaging. Yes. So it's not like you're just bored looking or watching people just having a chat about whatever it's quite involving mm. the interactions between the characters there i will say that the decision to follow certain characters over others is an interesting one and one that i didn't particularly expect mm -hmm. uh, you know there's a lot of characters introduced at the beginning uh, some just disappear. <laughs> Others will go away, then come back much later. Uh, the, I mean, the central conflict, if you will, within the British mm. unit or troop, if that's yep, the right yep, yep, yep. terminology, is between John and Gonville. Yep. So Stanley Baker's character and Michael Caine's character. Yes, yes. So we've got this sort of power clash, but they're fighting for the same cause, and then there's this mutual respect at the end. So that's a really nice character development and journey as well. Mm. Uh, it isn't the first time that I've commented or critiqued war films, I suppose, about me feeling distant from characters. Mm -hmm. With Zulu, it fits sort of in the middle ground for me. There were characters that I really connected with, mm -hmm. and then there are others that I really wanted to, but didn't feel like I had the opportunity yeah, to, because yeah, yeah. it wasn't really focusing on them. I watched it knowing that it was written, presented, and set at a time, and also made at a time, yeah, yeah. where it's very much from a colonial point of view. It feels like it's from a white person's lens. So they're my thoughts, Philip, and I'm sure That's you'll correct me. very <laughs> interesting. Not so much to correct, because yeah. this is this is does sort of hit that, as you've rightly said, uh, opinionated territory. But it is interesting you say that, because mm. the sh uh, Zulu has actually been praised mm. for being very progressive for the 60s. It's progressive in the terms of, and the one thing that I actually noticed... Mm. Because some of the films, even some of the ones that I'd mentioned, mm. didn't do this. But this uses black actors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is which was actually one of the first things I noticed. I've gone, oh, they've actually used black people mm. to play black people. 
That's yeah, it. so that was quite good. And one of the things you actually see, and again, it's been praised for this, mm. is that it doesn't villainize. It actually doesn't villainize either side. No. It does, you know, the, the, really the only people that are lampooned or, or, or made to look ridiculous are the two religious the two religious figures, the, the yeah. priest and, the, and his daughter. I had quite a problem with those characters. Mm, same. Yeah. For me, it was, you know how I'd said some characters I didn't quite get to know and some disappear. I'm referring to um, the priest and his daughter. Mm. I felt that they had an interesting and relevant, mm. if not sometimes annoying, yeah. <laughs> place in this narrative. It's, yeah, I agree. And then when they're taken away from the action and really taken away from the film, it makes perfect sense in terms yeah. of the script. It makes absolute perfect sense. But really, they seem to serve the purpose of informing the British that the Zulus are coming mm. and then to try to help the sick, that's in vain, mm. and then to be a nuisance to the Brits mm. who are trying to create this defence and that's it. Now, I know that sort of seems like, well, hang on, Wayne, that's actually a lot <laughs> of, yeah. of, of things for them to do. But I feel like so much emphasis is put on them at the beginning yeah. to have them just removed that way. I don't know. You almost feel like that it would have been, and this sounds horrible, hmm. but it almost would have been more rewarding for an audience member to see them with, withstand the battle or, or die in battle or maybe provide prayer to the dying, like just I, showing extra value, yeah, I suppose. I definitely would like to know, and this, to be honest, is something I haven't thought of before, but having yeah. you say that... Uh, it'd be interesting to know how historical they are. Mm. Were they actually there? Did they actually get kicked off? Were they actually ki- caught trying to cause a nuisance? Because to me, the, it, this is the only part of this film which does bug me, I suppose. Because yeah. the film is actually written, and this is something we'll get to, and it sort of ties back to what I was just saying before, and you were saying before about the black actors and stuff. Yeah, This is a mm. film... That is actually very anti-war. Yes. It's got a very strong anti-war feel to it. There is it no... does not glamorise war It does at not all. glamorise it. There's the lieutenants yeah, do but, not feel like heroic after no, exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're right, There's no true victory. There's no true end, as it were. And for both of them, it's their first sort of bloodbath, if That's you will. It. Yeah, That's which it. they discuss briefly which at the discuss. end. Yeah. And yet, these two missionary characters... Uh, religious characters yeah. uh, that voice of reason as it were yeah. the voice which in later films you would see as the voice of you know hey we don't have to go to war we don't have to fight mm. and yet they're treated still in that old school way Yeah, I would see this more in a World War 2 old school World War 2 film where you've got these two uh, people who are pacifists yeah. and they're ridiculed and lampooned Yet, this whole movie is about, well, not about war being bad, but it is is—it is not shedding war in a nice light. So why are they ridiculing the pacifists? Yes. That, conv- that message there confuses me, which makes me, to be honest, tend to feel that those characters are a bit more historical than mm. we're led to believe. Yeah. I mean, you, I guess also have to think about it in the realm of, 
where religion's set mm. in terms of people's lives. So when this film is set, yep. are people more religious then than, than we are now? Mm. So there is, I guess, a, a, an importance mm. to people of faith. And I think that's why my mindset being they should have stuck around and yeah. whether and, or maybe not make Reverend Otto go the way he did, if you will, like, you know, that, yeah. he, that he relies on the bottle just to <laughs> calm yeah, himself yeah, down yeah. or to do whatever or because he knows he, he can't help yeah, these soldiers because yeah. they're rejecting him. Maybe he says, well, you know, if they're not going to go for peace, I have to do my duty as, as, a, yeah. as, as a holy man yeah. and pray for them and to provide them comfort in their time of need because... He knows they're going to die when he's carted off in the wagon or they leave in the wagon. He, he does the whole, you know, you're all dead, you're all doomed. And it's funny because it reminded me of a trope character that you see in horror movies. Mm. There's always the crazy person of the yes. village who warns the young people and the teenagers, <laughs> the outsiders, <laughs> yeah. that there is a curse, that there's problems ahead. And yeah. then, of course, they buy the farm. But yeah. yeah, so he actually reminded me of that a little bit. So the fact that he disappears with his daughter, it just felt a bit unfinished their narrative arcs if you will yeah so i then went well what was really the point yeah no, exactly um, i agree but yeah i mean look they served their purposes for what they needed to serve yes, yes so whilst i'm a little confused about the choice of the writer to end their time in the film and mm. in the story that way it's not something that i will would overly yeah, fault the film yeah, for if you will it doesn't knock points off for me or anything it's yeah. just a bit like okay interesting choice Mm. Yeah. And going back now just for a moment to what you brought up before about um, actually using people of colour for the for the show. Yeah. They actually used native South African people at the time where apartheid has been in full swing. Wow. So this movie actually Again, in that terms of its acclaim to being progressive, it was done at a time where in America civil rights had not been brought through. Yeah, no. At a time where in South Africa apartheid was at its height, essentially. Well, yeah, and it would take a while before mm. it would end. Absolutely, no, yeah. And as you say, it was bringing work to people who in South Africa at the time, because it was also filmed, I believe, on location. Yes, so, I believe so too. Yeah, so it was actually bringing work to a people who at that time would not have gotten such work. No, you're right. And essentially accurate representation of people who are seen less than. Yes. And at the time that this film was made, black people were seen less than. And that's it. And that brings it back to this idea that, it, again, it's been acclaimed for not showing the Zulu as an inferior race. They, it showed them as just as disciplined as the British soldiers. And to some degree, if not more. Yeah. And I'm into minds about this because one could argue that the Zulu warriors are represented as two-dimensional characters. We don't get to know them at yeah, all yeah, I get as individuals. Yeah. They're very homogenized. Mm. Um However, they are orderly, mm. they are smart, mm-hmm. they are strategic, mm-hmm. they are brave. Yes. They have this sense of respect, I suppose, mm. when we consider how the film ends. 
It's not giving in. Most certainly. It's a sign of respect most to the enemy. And on that, mm. it's interesting that they've chosen to do that with the film because in reality, that's not what happened. Yeah. So in reality, did they come back and decimate? So No, 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 no. <laughs> so in reality, they were never meant to be there to begin with. So King Setuayo of the Zulu, mm. actually, the battle that they're referencing just before was where British had come in, I believe accidentally, there's all, you know, with all, <laughs> with all war, there's, there's politics and rubbish involved, but they'd come in, and so the king had decided he could use that battle as essentially a, hey, self-defense, yeah. defending my lands, mm. and that would give him a stronger standing with the British to reorganize, uh, renegotiate some negotiations that had been going on. Right. That the Zulu just did not like. Yeah. All of a sudden you have this battle and it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm defending my lands. The battle at Rourke's Drift meant that he no longer had any political sway. Right. Because it went from a defense of our lands to an attack in British-held territory. Right. So what happened was, in the movie you see this scene where the, the... soldier the messenger comes running in and the king says right we're going to war that never happened right this army who had been marching around thought they were elsewhere yes and so went from attacking this first base mm. decided to come across to attack the second base which they thought was in their own territory right which it wasn't so this whole conflict came about accidentally a misunderstanding yeah yeah long long story short definitely yeah and the reason they left at the end was actually because the king called them back right told them to stand down you've messed up wow the zulu did come back over the hill Mm-hmm. Like we see in the very final scene. Yeah. But it was more likely that they were watching over a, a relief column. We see the relief column coming in. It's the horses at the end there that Br- Lieutenant Bromhead is uh, uh, looking over. Yeah, yeah. It was more likely they were looking over to see what the British were doing just before they retreated back. Yeah. And that actually escalated the war from these skirmishes to the full might of the British Empire coming down on South Africa. Right. Which later led to the uh, First and Second Boer War. Okay. So this movie is actually seen as very historically accurate. There's only maybe one other major historical thing that didn't happen that was in this movie. So we've talked about how the king didn't want the war to happen and didn't actually start it. And we've talked about at the end how... The Zulu coming over wasn't them praising him, it was them saying, yeah, bad. (laughs) Um, The only other thing is the Men of Harlech song never happened. Okay. Um, Or at least it's not written anywhere. Alrighty. Um, That particular version of Men of Harlech was actually written for the film. Okay. The the actual version has different lyrics. Right. Um, And so did the original in the real life incident... Mm Mm-hmm. Songs were sung. Do we know what songs were sung? There was... This is the thing. There's nothing recorded... Yeah. ...suggesting that there was essentially a, a sing-off happening. Yeah. Now, again, it's one of those things that there's nothing saying it didn't happen. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but there, there's strong evidence to suggest that if that had happened, it actually would have been recorded because... Yeah. It was... See, it, if that had have happened that way, because the Zulu did 
chant and make songs. And yeah. They, they were very good at psychological warfare. Yes. So if that had happened and the, the, the Welsh had started singing, there's a high chance that it would have been recorded as a thing of valor and a thing of to add to the notes and the, the official uh, war histories. Yes, and I suppose also as a form of retaliation. Yeah. It's interesting because that particular moment, which happens towards the end of the film, mm. is one of the highlights for me. Nice I love every time that we see the, the Zulu warriors together. I love the way they look. They look so beautifully yes. uniform. Yes. Um, I love their, their war cries, their mm-hmm. war chants. Obviously, I can't understand what they're saying. No, no, but, but it's you get, amazing, you get isn't this, it? It just sounds so beautiful mm. and it sounds like strength. Yes. Like it feels like you've got a strong side that mm, you're about mm. to either join <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or uh, be confronted with. Yes. And so when the British troops start doing that as well mm-hmm. in their own way, mm. it almost feels like, well, we're retaliating against yeah. you. And when you do that, you can then emphasize our side mm. and your side yeah. are very similar. Yes. It's yes. that, we're fighting for two different things, so to speak, because it's mm. all about ideology and yeah, over it. territory and land and all of these, all of these things. But we're the same. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm usually very critical of historical movies yes. to try to be as accurate as possible. Yeah. But this is one of those times where I feel that the change and the little, what do you call it, when you add to something and it, it, oh. poetic licensing. Yeah, yeah. So using your creative license. Your creative license, yep. I think this is one of those times where it works not because, I'm not, it's not like I'm giving it a pass because I love the <laughs> movie, but it's actually because it doesn't insult the history. Yeah. And it doesn't change the core values. The only thing I would maybe change mm. is somehow change that beginning where the, the king sends everyone off to war. Maybe make that in line more with history. Because again, for me, people watch movies, watch a historical movie and go, oh, that's how it happened. Yeah, so what happens is, I think, the point of view mm. when you have the king saying, okay, we're going off to battle, it positions the Zulus as the villains of the piece. Mm, mm. So especially at the time it was made, perhaps with contemporary eyes, we think it differently. We're thinking, mm. well, imperialist, it's not your land to begin with, go away. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we're on the side of the Zulus perhaps yeah, more than yeah, anything yeah. already. But in 1964, that would not, from a Western point of view, that's not what our audience is thinking, yeah. let's be honest. Mm. So you're right. By having the king say, okay, we're going to war, it positions them as the villains now, are they portrayed in a villainous way throughout the film? I don't think they are. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, I feel, however, though, that even though they are acknowledged by the Brits as being you know, strong and brave and mm. a force to be reckoned with, I still feel that the film portrays the British troop as the braver of the two. And to some degree, the more competent of the yeah. two. When we compare, yes, one's outnumbered, clearly. Mm. And that's what makes a good story. Hey, we yeah. survived yeah, 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 4,000 people. That's it. But even if you want to look at the small individual battles that happen in the big battle, mm. you know, soldier against soldier, it takes one soldier will kill one Zulu warrior mm. easily. Mm. Whereas 
It takes maybe four to take down a Yeah, single, to take yeah. down one person. And also in reverse, one British soldier will kill four or five Zulu warriors yeah. before his demise. Yeah. So it does imply that the, the British team were superior. Yeah. In saying that, why wouldn't it? Because it's coming from a British point of view. Not just that. And again, this is where I get, I do get a little annoyed at historical revisionism. Mm. That's essentially how it would have had to have gone down mm. for them not to have been wiped out on the first day. Yes, yeah. Now, that makes can, sense, actually. You can still chalk that all up to the fact that they're using rifles and they, they're highly disciplined with those rifles. Again, the movie actually portrays the the part where the Zulus got hold of a lot of rifles from the previous battle. Yeah. But they had no idea how to fire them. They had no idea how to aim them because they hadn't been trained and taught with rifles. Right. So you've got this army that has for 100 years <laughs> yeah. uh, refined the art of the rifle to become the greatest fighting force with the rifle. Yeah. <laughs> the British Empire. The British Empire. Yeah. Now, again, I, I understand fully what what you mean by yes, it does, but that would have have to have been what happened for them to last the three days. Yeah. Do I think if they attacked on the fourth or on the third, <laughs> they would survive? No. Yeah. They would well, have been... The ending. If they yeah. had come back down from the hill, it would have been a lot tougher. That's it. I mean, just being weary. And that's you know, it. Just more exactly. Weary. Yeah. And, and that does annoy me a little bit with this idea of uh, historical revisionism, yeah. that the idea that we all hate imperialism, ergo the British soldier must be being, you know, uh, hurrahed and made yeah. to look better. Yes, I'm not denying that there is a Western lens to this film. I'm of course. definitely yeah. not denying yeah. that imperialism right up until yesterday today <laughs> it is still uh, something that plagues our view of the world i mean just look at any american film yeah with american imperialism you look at any rendition of gallipoli <laughs> the turks were defending their home how the hell are we the good guys <laughs> this is true philip and yet i don't like the idea of that story having to somehow show otherwise just to contend with the fact that we no longer uh, red, white and blue. You yes. know what I mean? Oh, no, absolutely. And look, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, the British Army had the superior technology mm. because the, the Zulu tribe had spears yeah. and the British troops had bayonets, mm. guns and spear in one. Yeah. And, no, that's with, no, that's and you know, both sides were skilled in mm. their weaponry. Mm. It's difficult to compete against gunpowder. Most certainly, most <laughs> yeah. certainly. And again, look, if this was a movie about the politics yeah. of imperialism, I'd, I'll have a completely different discussion and I'd say how yeah. horrible this was and how <laughs> terrible. But because it's about that battle and about Absolutely. that man versus man, yeah, I do actually think... Like, that you've brought it up. I didn't think this before, but now you've brought it up. I do think it would have been nicer to see a bit more of the Zulu side. Yeah. I, it would have been nice to be able to see more of that humanity from the Zulu side itself. Yeah, just but, to get uh, to know some of them. But that, I, but again, it's the film's not from their point of view. It's not from their point of view. But also, in a way... The Zulu nation was very Spartan-like. They were like the Spartans, yeah. where it was about a 
warrior nation. Mm. And, I mean, their children were conscripted at 14 years of age yeah. to serve in the military for the rest of their uh, young adult life. Yeah. That's not something you get to then say, oh, yeah, but humanity. Yeah, exactly. now, I'm not saying they're not hu- human. What I'm saying is that actually, I think, if you showed this film to the Zulu of the 1800s, I think they might actually feel proud of it because <laughs> it's saying, hey, look at us. You know we're an, a warrior nation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we look at the Spartans and the Greeks. Right. If you tried to show the Spartans as this loving, caring people... <laughs> wouldn't fly. It wouldn't fly with them. Yeah. I, f- I have a feeling with no context other than the fact that I know they're a warring nation and this was important to the culture... Mm. I just have a feeling that maybe that's actually how they would have liked to have been shown. Quite possibly. After saying that, I personally, if I was to remake this movie, I'd actually love to see more of that humanitarian side from them. To know who they are, to know their fear, to know their, their, what makes them tick. It would be interesting to tell this story again, but Mm. from the Zulu warrior side. And if I were to make this film myself from the British point of view... I'll be honest, I wouldn't actually change a lot of it. Yep. The critique that I have of the film is more about the amount of time we spend with the characters, how much we know of them and how much we get close to them. That would be the only thing I would actually develop. But Mm. in terms of its historical context, the way it depicts actual events, I really wouldn't change much of it, if any of it, to be honest, Phil. And... Even that whole camaraderie with the singing at the end, that song, yeah, was probably written for the film, but it's a beautiful representation. Mm. And I think creative license in historical films is perfectly fine if it serves the narrative, if it serves the goal of the story. certainly, yeah. Um, And like you were saying, I think the creative licenses weaved in this film serve the narrative. Yes, yes. I'd like to finish off because I think we've wrapped this up pretty nicely. But I'd like to finish off with actually just a couple of little trivia bits. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, for example, this was Michael Caine's first major role. Yes, introducing Michael Caine yes, in the opening I know, titles. Right? You know, and his name not being top billing. That's just so <laughs> weird to see. It is. It is. A um, very young Michael Caine. Very young. I love how he did this role, though. He just, he played that junior yeah uh, stiff half a lip officer so well i agree i love his performance in this oh, so good yeah it, so it's good. a beautiful introduction Most uh, to to cinema goers at the time and it's lovely for us in a contemporary point of view to look back to see where his very interesting and checkered career <laughs> yes, yes has gone Side note, mm. um, you look at old pictures of my grandfather. Right, Phil. He looks just like Michael Caine when he was younger. Oh, that's really yeah, cute. It is. Yeah. <laughs> he hated it, but... <laughs> yeah. Is it because Michael Caine made Jaws 4? <laughs> <laughs> Another little fun fact, mm. that Chief Mango Suthu, who played the Zulu King Sechwayo, yes, was actually the great-grandson of... King Setchwayo, and later became a leading politician in South Africa. That is absolutely beautiful. Love that That, with everything. (laughs) So I suppose if we were ever questioning the validity or the accuracy (laughs) or how are the Zulu warriors being depicted, we have a stamp of approval from a cast member. That's that's gorgeous. (laughs) 
And finally, the film was actually shown on the 85th anniversary of the actual battle. Okay. The 22nd of January, 1964. That is amazing. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Someone who was young enough... I'm trying to do the mental math. Yeah, someone who's young enough, some of the young buglers and stuff, theoretically could have been at the battle. I oh. doubt it, but... <laughs> I doubt it, but it could have happened. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Theoretically. Anything's possible. That's it. <laughs> the kids, ki- people who are kids who would have uh, had their fathers serve Absolute, or, yeah, that or read it in the paper would have been alive to see this movie come out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, Wayne... Final thought and score out of five. Well, Philip, I want to say thank you for showing me your all-time favourite film outside of the Star Wars franchise. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little asterisk, isn't it? It yeah, is, yeah. it is. Uh, but it's, it's up there for you, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's your favourite war film, clearly, yeah. outside of the battles in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, yeah, thank you for showing this to me because oh. I think when somebody shows you films that are in their top three mm-hmm. or top ten it's says a lot about them yeah yeah <laughs> and their interests and you know knowing your your love and passion for historical films for historical reenactments yep. historical stories for michael kane yeah it all came together for you in Most Zulu, certainly. and it was a pleasure to watch again it's a film that i had heard of and was never really on my radar to watch admittedly yep. because i'm not really drawn to to war films or battle movies uh, which in the same breath is a bit strange because i do enjoy them yeah Um, (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah so this one was again a pleasure to watch just summing up my thoughts of the film i love the way this film is shot and edited it is aesthetically beautiful Mm. it fits in so comfortably with the grand epics of Mm. the era and it holds up really well all mm. these years later. It's, I think it's so entertaining. The film almost runs for two and a half hours. It does not drag at all. Yeah. The dialogue is quite engaging, and that's important when you've got a film that's so long. Yeah, yeah. When the battles do kick in about an hour, the first sort of yep. main battle yep. about an hour into the film, you almost expect it to hit and then never let up. Mm. But these battles come in waves. They so do. we take they a do. breather. We as an audience rest a little bit mm. and then oh, here comes the next yeah. one. What's it going to be like? Mm-hmm. What's it going to entail? And they escalate and escalate. So they're done really well. I felt like the fight scenes were choreographed extraordinarily mm. well. If I had to critique the film... It is that I didn't quite get to know the characters as much as I would have liked to, especially when you've got great characters such as Hook, Mm, mm. (laughs) who's in the infirmary Mm. and is, I guess, the person that maybe we, as audience members, definitely me, could probably relate to the most. The person who doesn't want to be there, who's pretty lazy and slack (laughs) in terms of Warfield, and he's redeemed really beautifully, I feel. So I was very happy that he lived in the end. Stanley Baker, Michael Caine, just absolutely beautiful performances. They had such great rapport, I felt. Oh, yeah. I think they played their, their roles extraordinarily well. James Booth played Private Hook. He was one of my favourites. <laughs> I really, really loved him. So, overall, I feel like the film achieves what it sets out to do. It holds up really well. It's an engaging piece. Mm. For me, it's not perfect, but... Mm-hmm. 
I thoroughly enjoyed this one and I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Yep. So it's a very strong and very solid four out of five for nice. me. Nice. Philip. Beautiful. Well, um, funny you should say you're talking about the characters because if you actually look at the characters we follow and I was just thinking about this as you said it then, mm. they're actually, we follow the VC winners. Yes. Predominantly. Yes. Which don't I think... know that until the end. Don't though. know that till the end. It's and I also problem. feel that that's why we don't quite cover them as well as you'd like mm. because they're almost it does feel a little checkboxy yes sort of thing however as you say when this is my absolute all-time favorite film outside of the star wars <laughs> and it's for me it, it it is all that you've said it's that reenacting it's that that battle it's that humanitarian side so i love my reenacting not just because oh look guns shooty shooty <laughs> but because I get to read about soldiers and how they dealt with this horrific stuff that happened to them. The the absolute edge of sanity for and over for a lot of people. I've always loved the Redcoats. I've always loved that sort of discipline and the British and the, the Empire and all that rubbish. But this movie, I also find myself, as you said earlier, rooting for the Zulus. Yeah. I find myself, I love their... Their, their tactics, the way that they deal with trying to figure out... Because, you know, their, their, uh, the bull formation just isn't going to work on this defensive thing. So how do we work this out? Yeah. Again, I would have loved to have seen more of that. Mm. But for me, this is the absolute epitome of what a war film should be. Agreed. Five out of five, solid. Yeah. doesn't surprise me. It, you said, it, you know, it does tick a lot of boxes. And one thing I do want to... Add, which I haven't mentioned in terms of, of the writing is I love how things are explained for the layman but mm. it's not in your face yes I love that it fits as I said in, it's, it's well it written it fits in nicely they do it by ma- having this unit yeah. not well end of the day they're the British they're not no. native to the land no they, they're not the experts they're not the experts and they bring yeah. in this boar to be able to say, oh, yeah, well, this is what they're doing because I've dealt with them for the past 10 years. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> As I said, it's such a well-written film. Mm. So, yeah, once again, thank you for sharing. You're most welcome. Wayne, what do you have in store for us next time? Well, Philip, you presented your favourite war film of all time. Yep. So I will, in return, present to you one of my all-time favourite films. This is my all-time favourite queer film. Nice. And... It is a remarkable story for me because it is simple, it is charming, it is sweet. And if you want to talk about a film that ticks all the boxes, <laughs> this movie does it. And the film is called Beautiful Thing. Awesome. Can't wait to see that. Fantastic. I've been a film hunting. I've been Wayne Stellini. And, and you've, you've just, just experienced, experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. Man of Harlex, stand ye steady, it cannot be ever said ye, for the bad word already was fed, will not yield. Okay, I gave you the opening verse. Stop that, stop that. Dun, 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 And say...
blooper reel. Take one. Zulu is a 1964 British epic war film directed by Cy Enfield, depicting the Battle of Rourke's Drift. I'm doing that far too robotic. Take two. Zulu is a 1964... I saw you in the corner of my eye. No, no, you just did that really dramatic. Zulu. Yeah, I'm going to do it again too. No, 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 go for it. Okay, then I won't laugh at you. Take three. Zulu is a 1964... The words aren't bad, I'm just... No, no, you do you. Take four. Zulu is a 1964 British epic war film directed by Cy Enfield, depicting the Battle of Rourke's Drift between the British Army and the Zulus in January 1879, during the... Take five. During the Anglo-Zulu War. Based on an... Take six. Based on an article by... Sorry. Where do you need me to go from for editing? Um, Based on. Yeah, the the first sentence was fine, I think. Take seven. Based on an article by historical writer Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromehead, Michael Caine, as they lay... Do you want to go from the top then, so you can have that momentum? Uh, from... Zulu. Okay. Yeah. Will that annoy you? No. Okay. Are you saying that just to be nice? No. <laughs> <laughs> Me nice this time of night? Mm-hmm. I have to be up at 5.30 tomorrow, so I'm nicer mm. than you today. <laughs> Take eight. Zulu is a 1964 British epic war film directed by Cy Enfield, depicting the Battle of Rourke's Drift between the British Army and the Zulus in January 1879 during the Anglo-Zulu War. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Barker, at... Baker. Take nine. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Char. Chad. One more time, I've got this. <clears throat> Take 10. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker. Take 11. Stanley Baker and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead. Michael Caine, as they led... As they lead. Take 12. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard. He's right, I got the first bit. (laughs) The first bit's perfect. Mm. And it's a long sentence. No, it is, it is. And I, I don't think there's much I can do about that, is there? Oh, no, I mean, it reads well. Yeah. It reads yeah, well. Yeah. When you don't have to necessarily read it at last. Yeah, 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 it's fine. Take 13. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, Michael Caine, as they lead 150 soldiers... Brrr, can I go from as they lead, or do you need it from the top? Um, from based. Do you mind base? Yep. So how you go with that? If not, we can mm-hmm. start chopping up. <clears throat> Take 14. 
based Take 15. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows Take 16. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, Michael Caine, as they lead 150 British soldiers in the valiant and hard-worn defence of their men against a force of 4,000 Zulu warriors. You happy with that? Uh, One more time. You said hard-worn instead of hard-won. Bugger, yep. Take 17. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bron... Gonville, Gonville. Take 18. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, Michael Caine. Gonville, Gonville, Gonville. Take 19. Based on an article by... Take 20. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, Michael Caine, as they lead... 150. Oh, God, Philip. Take 21. Based on an article by historical John... Take 22. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, Michael Caine, as they lead 150 British soldiers in a valiant and hard-won defence of their men against... <clears throat> Close. Yeah, Take 23. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of John Chard... Take 24. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, Michael Caine, as they lead 150 soldiers in a valiant and hard-won defence of their men against a force of 4,000 Zulu warriors. I miss British. Is that a problem? That's up to you, buddy. Take 25. Based on an article by historical writer John Preble, Zulu follows the last stand of Lieutenant John Chard, Stanley Baker, and Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, Michael Caine, as they lead 140 soldiers... 140... <laughs> That's me seeing... That's me seeing... <laughs> They lost 10 men when we <laughs> reading that out. In the time it took you to try yeah. to write it, 10 men fell. Um, is it easy for you to off the screen? Bigger screen? Um, maybe, yeah. Let's yeah. have a crack at this. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you got, and not only that, you forgot British as well at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've just got 140. What am I doing? Well, history is written by the winners, yeah. It is. Yeah, it is, so yeah. You, you rewrite it, my friend. <laughs> You're so. Bonus blue pose. We see at the very end, we okay. see those horses, the um, Lieutenant Broomhead. Um, I've messed that oh, up. I'll say that again. I know, I know, I know. Bromhead. Bromhead. Mango Suthu Bus... Bus... 
Thelsley. Uh, he was um, a, a Zulu. Uh, uh, you need to do that all over again, I buddy. Do, I do. Uh, 